Welcome to Grace this weekend. Thanks so much for being here with us. And uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the teaching pastors here on staff. And I'd love to meet you if maybe this is your first time here. Thanks for being here in the room. Uh, Thanks for tuning in if you're tuning in online or if you're at our Montrose location. Uh, Thanks for being there as well. And I want to walk us into kind of the next conversation in the series we've been in for the last handful of weeks now, Habits and Heartbeats. And really what this is all about is looking at the motivations that would drive the life of a follower of Jesus, kind of the passions that would move us, and then the regular actions, the habits that should be kind of normal in the life of a follower of Jesus. We want to take some time and really look at those, and specifically, we want to look at the heartbeats and habits that are going to show up really in the realm of sharing the story of Jesus, of taking our faith and making it public, taking kind of a private, a personal faith and moving it outward to the people around us. We said that that's something that would be a, a habit and a heartbeat of somebody that would say yes to following Christ. And so I think in the course of this series in these conversations. It's been encouraging for those of you who are followers of Jesus, right? It kind of lays out what's normal for us and our great reminders and maybe tips and tools that are helpful. And I think for those of us who aren't followers of Christ, if you're maybe investigating the Christian faith, I think it's extraordinarily clarifying uh, to say, I mean, this is kind of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. These are the things that Christ's followers do, and here's kind of why they do it. And I also think it's really helpful if you're investigating the faith to understand that if you have had a negative experience of somebody sharing their faith with you as a follower of Jesus, as you hear these conversations, please know that often that's not really how it's supposed to go, that God's Word actually describes for us how we're to share our faith, and that's something that we're to do with gentleness and respect, what we've been talking about a lot over the course of this series. And so great conversations. If you missed any of those, I'd encourage you to catch up online. And uh, we kind of walked through the journey of looking at the very first conversation was all about kind of the the big why behind we would even do that. And then over the last handful of weeks, we've looked at some hows. How does it actually work? What happens in me as I start to share my faith? And so watch those, listen to them online, uh, of course, at graceohio.org or download the app and you can check those all out there. And we're actually going to wrap up our conversation or our series today. I want to have one last conversation of, about kind of these habits and these heartbeats. And what we want to do is really look at our story and really the, the reality of what happens in the life of an individual when our life and our story intersects with the life and the story of Jesus. Uh, how does that happen and what does it look like and what's it look like to be clear about what God has done in my life to look at what he is doing in my life and how can I kind of be ready to give an answer for the hope that I have. And so what we're going to do today is really set up shop around one passage of scripture, uh, really just one verse. And kind of in retrospect, looking back at grace here, this passage or even this verse, I think has become really the center point for us around sharing our faith. When we think about sharing our faith, we would often go to this passage. I want to take some time and really look at it and kind of set up camp there. So if you have a Bible, you can open that up to 1 Peter chapter 3. That's 1 Peter chapter 3 if you want to read along or look along on your phone. Uh, If you want to just look on the screen here as well, that's fine. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 15. And I want to read it for us first. And then, of course, we'll take some time and really unpack it and see what's in there. So here's what Peter's going to say. He says, but in your hearts, 
revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. He says, but do this with gentleness and respect. This passage is loaded. And what I want to do first is I want us to dive into this kind of middle sentence where Peter says, always be prepared. He says, I want you to always be ready. Always have kind of have this in mind. I want you to know something, be ready for something. I want you to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Peter's going to say this. He's going to, in essence, say, listen, uh, if you have hope in you, if you're a follower of Jesus and the hope of Christ is within you, that's going to show to people. People are going to see that. It's going to come out. And when that comes out, I want you to be ready to give an answer when they ask, hey, why are you so hopeful? What's your answer for that? He says, really, we should be prepared for that because he just knows that the reality of hope in a person is it's going to show up because hope is powerful. Isn't that true? When we see an individual filled with hope uh, in a difficult circumstance, all right, in an imperfect circumstance, going through a difficult time, and that person can remain hopeful, we're going to look at them and say, how are you doing that? How does that work? What is inside of you that, that causes you to continue to grasp onto hope? So I said it this way. I said, hope that's inside of you creates curiosity in the people around you, right? Hope that's inside of you it's going to create a curiosity in the people around you, just kind of how it works. As that curiosity peaks, Peter says, be ready to give that answer because there's going to be kind of this no-brainer moment that we've been talking about over the last handful of weeks. That no-brainer moment is, is the moment when, when somebody asks us about the reason why we have faith or why we have hope. Peter describes it this way, right? What's the reason for the hope that's within you? Often it doesn't sound quite like that. Uh, when someone is asking about the reason for our hope, it's going to sound something like this. Hey, th there's something different about you. Like, what is it? You, you seem so peaceful. How, how, do you, how do you do that? How, how do you have a peace in life? I'm, so, I'm always so stressed out and anxious. How do you have a peace? That, where does that come from? Uh, people might look at you and say, hey, it, you guys have been married like a long time. It, it, it seems like you still like each other. Like, give us the recipe. How does it work? What's the secret sauce to your marriage? Help me understand that. I, it might be something as simple as, man, you seem to be able to manage life pretty well. Like, I know you've had difficult times. Life's not always easy or perfect for you, but it seems like you're able to somehow stay on top of it with your perspective. Like, what's your secret? How does it work? Uh, it, it might be something as simple as, hey, man, how do you put up with your boss? Like, I get that question all the time right? It's been great working here, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So it, who knows, right? It, it's something down that road of somebody being piqued in their curiosity to say, there's something different about you. Uh, what is it? Why do you have faith? Why do you persevere? What does it look like? And Peter just says, get ready, follower of Jesus, because that, that question is going to come up if you're following Christ, Okay, are you prepared for that? That's kind of what he's driving at. So what I want us to do is spend some time kind of getting a hold of uh, our story and not just our big picture story, that's a part of it, but all of the kind of the micro stories that we might have in our life. Because if we're a follower of Jesus, 
What's going to happen is God is going to work purposefully in our lives and in our story. We, we heard one today. It was powerful, right? As we heard Ashley's story. That's going to be true for all of us who have said yes to Jesus. We have the story, the big picture story of how God drew us to himself and drew us into a relationship with himself. And then there's all of the micro stories, uh, the, the little stories that are going to break down along the way. And what I've, what I've found is that it's hard for us to get a hold of our own story. I can see yours and I can recognize yours and I can appreciate yours. But sometimes it's hard to realize, man, that I have a story to tell and my story is unique and it's powerful and it's actually useful and it can actually really bring hope and encouragement to other people. So we want to spend some time really digging into this and looking at kind of the, the trend of how a story might look and spend some time unpacking that. So here's kind of how a story is generally going to look. Okay, there's going to be a, how about this, two weeks on the whiteboard, eh? Yeah, you can be excited about that, right? So here, here's how it's going to work. Uh, the first stage of this kind of story arc goes like this. There, there's usually a before. We'll talk about that. There, there's a during where there's a moment or a season where, where change is peaking. Things are getting intense and something is happening. And then there, there's going to be an after, right? There's going to be an after where my life is now somehow different because I went over this hill. This change has taken place right? A before, during, and after. That's how most stories are going to play out. So on the big picture level, I would often tell my story this way. I would say, yeah, you know, I didn't follow Jesus growing up. I didn't have a, a Christian background. I came to a point where my buddy told me about Jesus when I was in a desperate period in my life, and my life has never been the same since, like changed the whole trajectory of my life. That's the big picture version that kind of encapsulates my whole life on this timeline. Some of us are going to have stories that are like that. Uh, you came to know Jesus a little bit later in life. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home. And, and your story arc for your life looks like this. All of us, whether you grew up in the church or not, whether you started following Jesus from childhood or not, have micro stories of how this is going to play out as well. Uh, an example for me is the Lord led Lori and I through a season of infertility, right? We couldn't have children. And we felt a great need to have children. We wanted to have kids. We went through a process of God growing us and teaching us during that time. And we have a different perspective kind of on the other side of it. Your before might sound like this, right? It could be all over the board. Befores could sound like this. And I had this need, I had this longing, I needed perspective, I needed direction, uh, I had everything going on on the outside. If you looked at my life, it felt great, but inside, there was a vanity and a, a purposelessness to my life. And I didn't know why to get out of bed in the morning. Your, your story might sound like this, it might sound like, I had this tragedy, I lost someone that I love. I received a diagnosis. I lost my job. Uh, I was on top of the world, but, but it seemed like it wasn't enough. I accomplished all my goals and then, and then ran out of reasons to live. Right? There's some, in this before stage, there's some kind of need, there, there's some kind of driver that's causing me to have to change. Something is wrong, something needs to be fixed, Help me, right? It's kind of the, 
the cry of before. What that will do in a season or in a life is it will begin to peak out and, and bring me into a during. And here's what a during could look like. Right, a during could look like this. I, I had all this stuff going on, right? I'm, I'm facing this angst or this trouble or this difficulty, and all of a sudden, God put this person in my life, and this person told me the truth. Uh, they, they shared Christ with me, or they shared a perspective with me, and it changed everything. The during might be a moment. The during might be a season, it might be multiple months or even a year where God is just taking me through a trial and he's teaching me something deeper, right? And I might get a hold of that in a deeper way. I would say, here's an example for me, right? I grew up without really being connected to my biological dad. That caused a pain point in my life. I'd say I went through a heavy season of realizing that God himself is my father and that he Part of his plan for me is to put other men into my life to fill the gap of not having a biological dad, right? So that was healing for me as I went through that. There's an example of a season. The after ends up being my life is different, my perspective is different, not that everything is perfect, but, but man, it made all the difference in the world. I found what I was looking for. I'm in some way different than I was before all this started. This is my story. Peter's going to say, listen, man, be ready. When somebody starts to poke on you and ask for the reason, that you, the hope that's within you, we have a story to tell. Here's how God is working in my life right now. I, I ran into a lady last night, and she said, she, said, I, I, she told me right away, it just kind of came out of her. She said, I had a miscarriage. She said, that was heartbreaking for me. I went through a season where God taught, taught me that I should, I want to continue to serve children, and he's going to give me not just one child, but all kinds of children. And so she said, I have given my life to investing in children through children's ministry. And she said, and God continues to multiply that. She goes, I have hundreds of kids. She said it with a huge smile on her face. I was like, wow, I was blown away. What a story, right? She was ready to tell the hope that's within her, even through a difficult situation. Right? A before, a during, and after. Most of our stories are going to look something like that. Again, it's the big picture or it's the micro version. How has God worked in my life? How maybe is he even working in my life right now? And sometimes we can get very, very real that we're in the middle of one of these stories being made kind of as we speak. Right? So if you're a follower of Jesus, we want to start to look and understand and see how has God built these stories and how is he done these things in us, what are those, and, and help me to understand, God, what you've done in my heart and in my life. Now, as I start to get clarity around my story, I, I want to think in terms of the short version and the long version. Uh, I want to have some clarity to be able to, to say that story in the line at Chipotle or in the line at Starbucks, right, or in, just bump it into a coworker. I also want to be able to tell the, the longer version if I ask somebody, hey, do you want to hear the short version or the long version? And they say, hey, I want to hear the long version. I want to tell them that story over coffee or over lunch and kind of lay it out a little bit deeper, right? So here's kind of this story arc that we're looking at. Now, Peter's going to say, as you get a hold of your story, as you're prepared to give the reason for the hope that's within you, there's a, a specific 
prescribed way that you want to tell that story. It's not up for grabs that you can tell it however you want. He's going to say you, you want to do this in a certain tone. It's embedded in a certain approach. I can't just rip it out there. Here's what he's going to say. He, he says, do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. This is massive uh, be, because we all, probably many of us, have either experienced somebody trying to share their faith with us, and if, you, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you've had a negative experience like this, well, where a Christ follower uh, tried to share the hope that they have with you, but they did it in a way that was condescending or manipulative uh, or judgmental, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've had that experience because we as Christ followers were told to do it like this. Uh, we were told to approach uh, people like people, treat them like people, and, and to approach one another as people that all have a before. Uh, we all are in the same boat in this thing. We're all people trying to help each other find hope in this life, right? So we want to do it with gentleness and respect. Uh, we want to predetermine if I'm going to share my faith, it's not, or my story, it's not going to be in a condescending attitude. I'm not going to beat somebody down with it. I'm not trying to start an argument. I'm simply in humility telling you what the star of this story has done, what Jesus has done, how he's worked in my life. It's as simple as that, right? Here's what I said. The, the impact of our words is often felt not by what we say, but by how we say. The impact of our words is often felt not by what we say, but by how we say it. People can hear our story and hear of what God has done, but they feel the love of Christ as we interact with them with gentleness and respect. Right? They feel the kind of acceptance and forgiveness and welcoming into the family of God that's possible uh, when we just kind of treat people like equals and meet them in a place where we're gentle. Uh, we're not bullying, we're not pushing, we're not aggressive, uh, and we're respectful of who they are. We're not assuming that they have no idea what life's about. That's not how it is at all. We're simply just looking to say, here's what God's done in me. I want to tell you about it, right? Do you want, you want to hear any more? Uh, you ask the question, I'm just kind of give you the answer, right? So the impact of our words often felt not by what we say, but by how we say it, and this is absolutely huge. I'd be curious, how, how many of you have bumped into someone of any faith who has been aggressive in their approach to you in sharing their faith? Raise your hand if you've seen that. Most of the room, most of the room, how awesome would it be to have that not be true at least of us and at least of the people of Christ, the people of God who are representing this first, right? Because Jesus laid this out, leading through Peter. He says, listen, do this with gentleness and respect. We want people to feel the love of Jesus when we talk to him. It's the whole idea. Now, what's fascinating is Peter begins this whole verse, right, in 1 Peter 3, 15. He says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. I think it's fascinating that he would begin this section of Scripture like that. Uh, but before you go and prepare yourself to give an answer, um, before you recognize that people's curiosity is going to be piqued and, and that you're prepared to answer with gentleness and respect, 
that the first work is really to, to make sure that Jesus is first and most in my heart and in my life if I'm a follower of Jesus. It's kind of the whole point of following Christ, to, to revere him as Lord. There, there's a big difference, and I want us to capture this. There's a big difference in our culture. We, we tend to respect Jesus, and there's a huge difference between respecting Jesus and revering him. Here's what I said in your notes. Respecting Christ as a man is not the same as revering Christ as Lord. There's a difference. And what a great uh, weekend to talk about this. This is Palm Sunday weekend. Uh, this, this is the weekend that we tend to look back and remember when, when Jesus is setting up kind of the week where he would move towards the cross. And if you remember the story of Palm Sunday, here's kind of how it went. Jesus would interact with his disciples and say, hey, guys, I want you to go grab this donkey, kind of borrow it, prepare this for me. They would have grabbed their cloaks that they had, they would have worn. Uh, they, they would have had one or two cloaks. If you were kind of well off, you'd have two. They would have put their cloaks onto this donkey. Jesus would have got onto this donkey, and this was not in any way random. Uh, this is a fulfillment of Scripture that the, the Messiah, the promised king, was to ride into Jerusalem as a fulfillment of Scripture, as the, the king has come, and he is making his way into the kingdom, and he's setting up shop as the promised Messiah, the one that would bring order and redemption, right? And he would kind of redeem and restore the nation of Israel and free them from the power of the Roman. That's, that's what the people would have had in mind. Jesus has something else in mind as this donkey is covered in their cloaks and he's on the donkey riding into Jerusalem. As he begins to make his way in, there would have been massive throngs of people everywhere cheering for Jesus. Uh, at the height of his po popularity, he, he would have been an absolute rock star kind of in this moment. People would have been cheering, Hosanna, save us. They would have seen him on the donkey and, and thought, he is going to come and fulfill our wishes. He's going to come and, and put Israel, put Jerusalem on top again, free us from the tyranny of, of this government that we've been under. Jesus is coming to make our dreams come true. He's coming to give us the story that we want. Now, Jesus has something very different in mind. As he's going into Jerusalem, what he knows is he's not going to give that at all. What he's going to do is he's going to ride into Jerusalem, and the intensity of that week is going to lead him to a cross. And he's going to end up dying, being buried, rising from the dead, and setting up a kingdom in a different way than anyone would have expected. The crowds are cheering. They are fans of Jesus. They are respecting him as a prophet and a teacher. And in fact, the, the Pharisees, the leaders of the time in the book of John would say this, when Jesus made his way in, they would have said, the whole world has gone to him. It would have appeared that, that everybody was a Jesus fan. Everyone's cheering his name. They're all respecting him as the king and the Messiah and the prophet. When people asked in the book of Matthew, who is this who's coming in 
to Jerusalem, they would have answered, this is Jesus, a prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. He's a man. We respect him. We cheer him. And they would cheer him and they would be fans of him as long as he was on the path of fulfilling their dreams, as long as he was playing out the story that they wanted to have play out. What's fascinating is uh, that crowd is nowhere to be found, nor frankly is anyone else. When Jesus is making his way into being arrested and being beaten, and as he's making his way to the cross, literally only his mom and, and the youngest disciple are there. Everyone else has fled. When the heat got turned up, when it got difficult, when, when the, the dream and the story that they hoped didn't play out the way that they hoped it would play, only a handful clung to Jesus and said, oh, you're Lord. Like, where else am I going to go? See, there's a complete and total difference between respecting Jesus as a man because he has power to do what I hope he will do in my life versus revering him as a Lord, saying that, that I want to follow you no matter what. No matter what story you give me, Jesus, I'm in. I'll receive it. I'll take it. Uh, I want your story to be my story. I want my story to bring you glory. I want to revere you as Lord. And I think Peter begins this whole conversation with this first, to say, to say listen, when, when I revere Christ as Lord, I get very, very clear about where my hope actually is. For them, the hope was the government. The hope was the king who would bring power. It was not in the person of Christ, the Lord. It wasn't Jesus, God himself. As we look at our story, we want to begin to ask the same question. Am I respecting Jesus? Not just as a, a man or a figurehead, a religious right, movement starter, who might be able to give me the power to, to have my dreams come true, am I revering him as a Lord, someone who's able to do whatever he wants to do in my life? Looking at him and saying, that you, the story that you want to build for me is whatever you want to make it. I think it all starts there. Here's one of the things I've found that's fascinating. I came from basically an atheistic background. I didn't believe in God. I came to know Jesus in college. And over the last 19 years that I followed Christ, here's basically what I've found. Uh, the vast majority of people of any faith, Christian, non-Christian, you name it, most people, when pushed, don't actually know what they believe or why they believe it. And they, most people couldn't articulate for you what God has done in their life and kind of what their reason is. See, see Peter is saying, listen, get clear about where your hope is. 
Revere Christ as Lord. Put him in there first and most, that he's the, the top priority in your heart and mind. That's the only real way to interact with him. That's what he's asking for. You say, Ryan, what, what do we do with this whole conversation? Let me walk you through it. I want to walk us back to the whiteboard here and look at our story arc. Let me approach it as if this is the big picture story, right? At least for the sake of